Welcome back to the Boundary Corner Podcast with my partner, Brian Siegler. I am Curtis Wilson. Brian, how it goes on this hump day, buddy? Good, man. Back on a Wednesday night, back at home, feeling good. How about you, man? Uh, Tired. Long Wednesday night, long Wednesday in general from work and other activities and running around like a chicken with my head cut off and watching some action where, whoa, that was a terrible handoff, where you mentioned it to me before we got on. Khalil Pimpleton. Yeah. Absolutely tearing it up. Two return touchdowns already for him. Um, why did why exactly did he leave? <laughs> the uh, that's a great question. It seemed like we, for whatever reason, couldn't find anything to do with him. But uh, Central Michigan certainly uh, figured out a bunch to do with him. Um, I mean, a lot it, a lot of what he does is similar to what uh, what Tay does for us. Um, True. Yeah, he, he he has a, probably a little bit more top end. Um, in, in terms of his, his, his running, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't know that one. That, that's still a head scratcher for me. Head scratcher. Maybe one of those interviews one day, right? One yeah. Yeah. Get him on here. Hey man. Yeah. Although Tell us it, what went down. Yeah. We could always speculate at least where he went was literally like right down the road from home. It wasn't like he was from Florida, came to tech and then transferred to like Texas. Like that's true. You know, so, yeah, did he – nope. But they have left 83 wide open multiple times, and Central Michigan goes to the red zone. I'm sure there's some folks out there tonight who are partaking in action gambling, some pretty wild lines out there. I know the one I was looking at was, was like a 20-and-a-half point spread, like Ball State and Akron maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Um, so we, we're officially in action territory. For the action lines are always crazy. So, well, the game with those crazy. Yeah. I mean, because most of the games, what they're usually coming off of a bye, so they're on a ten day rest plus you know ten days to prep. So it's always pretty crazy. But uh, Brian, we have a ton to unload tonight. A ton. Yeah, it's going to be a, a packed one, guys. So buckle up, let's roll. Let's roll. Well, let's start with this. This is not college football related at all. Ryan, for the first time in 26 years since you were a middle school seventh grader in yep. Alex County, the Atlanta Braves closed out the World Series last night. It was a beauty. Uh, it, this, this was one that had me nervous after dropping the third game. Um, Back in Atlanta, had to take it back to Houston. Uh, but Braves come out and front to back just dominating a game six to to close out the World Series. So I'm happy. It's been a uh it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, if you if you asked me a few years back when we kind of unloaded some of our our veteran talent, if I thought we'd be doing this this quick, I'd say nope. Um and if you told me at the beginning of the season that we were going to lose our ace and our best all-around player yeah. uh, before the All-Star break and we'd still make a playoff run and win the World Series, I'd say nope. Uh, but here we are. Uh, and, and it's 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 kind of sweeter because of how 
unprobable the circumstances were. Very improbable. I mean, y'all were below 500 just three months ago at the beginning of August and went on a tear to end up what, like 17, 18 games above 500, right? Y'all were yeah, like, it was, it, was a, it was a big, it was a big close, massive close, 14 games above 500 at 88. All, all, the entire month of August was as lights out as you can really get. It's true. And then y'all made good sound moves, getting Duvall, um, you know, uh, so Larry, y'all got early in the season. By the way, that home run last night has still not landed. <laughs> oh my god! Over well, the you tracks. Heard, well, you Over heard the, the tracks. Story, right? You heard the story. Of the guy who found that ball, right? Nah. So there's apartment complexes across the street. Guy was sitting there watching the game in his apartment complex. Somebody told me this tonight at baseball. Like, yeah, he's just watching the game at the apartment complex. And he kind of looks out and he looks down and he sees the ball that landed outside the stadium. So he walks down and goes and gets it. But man, one of those cool things for you, man. I mean, the Braves were good in the 90s and the 2000s, the last few years here to get back there and capture it on probable season. It's awesome. Um, not a Braves fan, but when a team goes on a run like that, you have to respect it. All right. So we're going to turn off the baseball news. Baseball's over until next spring, which we'll talk about it then, I'm sure. The only um, thing left is the parade. only thing left is the parade in Atlanta, and it has not been one there in a long time. That's All right. right, bud. Biggest news over the weekend college football-wise, Gary Patterson out at TCU. Um, you know, he left on his own terms. They gave him the opportunity to coach out the rest of the season, um, and then – ended at the end of the season. He didn't want to do that. But, you know, there, there it is, Brian. There's the job. There's the job. I am. I know we've had people tell us that the TCU boards are running rampant on bringing Fuente back. Um, but he's got to do some stuff, right, to probably get there. Yeah, he probably has some work to do uh, the rest of the season. Um, and, you know, it's the, the big question is going to be is, are, are they ready to give Fuente that rehab look, thinking that change of scenery, uh, being in his wheelhouse in terms of recruiting and just a general um, comfort with uh, – TCU, whether that's something that uh, is worth the gamble um, for them. Because obviously anybody that, especially a Power 5 team that's taking Fuente after this stint at Virginia Tech is going to be taking some degree of risk, right? Um, So that's the question. And obviously the other thing that we can look at here is that with Gary Patterson out, you know, we've talked about that trickle down. This is more potential trickle down to those G5 positions. Yep. That could be a likely landing spot for Fuente and could soften some of the, the buyout situation we have in that contract. Exactly. And, and you make the point about them taking a risk with him. But I don't really think it's a bigger risk as some people are making it out to be. And some people can say, well, he's been 500 here the last three seasons. It's true. We're, we're not going to deny that. But what we can tell you is this, when – he is running a certain part of the team, the team plays better. And last year he went over to help support the defense, and that made sense. 
if you're Texas Christian University and you feel like he's the guy, what he did 10 years ago, coordinating the offense under Andy Dalton to an undefeated season, number two finish in the polls, Rose Bowl win over a great freaking Wisconsin team. Yep. I mean, essentially, I think he's going to walk into some of these jobs. And I think the first question they're going to ask him is, fill out your staff. Yeah, that that that's going to be a big one. That, that's going to be the big one. Obviously, the the probably the biggest thing in terms of you know potential for long term success at Virginia Tech, uh, you know, outside of the recruiting angle, is the aspect of sticking with staff that is not achieving at the level that we want them to. Yeah, and not 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 moving on fast enough from those uh, those staff members, and, and 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 it it you know we're looking at a situation where stuff like that may be the thing that is costing him his job more so than the in game decisions, more so than the yep. uh, the the recruiting side of things that hasn't lived up to potential. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going out there and winning games, some of that matters less if you're still winning the games and if you're taking care of business week to week you can overlook some of those some of those uh blemishes there yep now he you know he has made the corrections in the recruiting game um we'll talk about a pickup later but you mentioned trickle down effect brian well there's one guy likely not going to be trickling down anywhere and jeff trailer the coach at UTSSA got extended. They put a little more money into the football program. And I know a lot, it was reported pretty quickly after Texas Tech came open that they'd reached out to him. So that guy looks like he is probably not moving anywhere. And I've got to probably say, I think Jeff Taylor, Trailer's in his mid fifties. That's probably it then. If he's, if he's sticking at UTSA, then he's probably not going to go anywhere for the rest of his career. So there's one of those potential landing spots for Fuente that's now gone. Yeah, um, you know, you get one higher level job that you know potentially looks like a, a, a somewhat better fit, but then you got, as you said, a trickle down role that looks more or less locked up, unless I guess somebody walks up to uh, to Jeff Trailer and gives him exactly 100% the fit and look and everything that he he wants. Um, at this point, but, um, you know, that, that, that extension came through. We also had PJ Fleck get an extension earlier today. Seven Seven years. years. Jesus. I mean, I know he had a good season two years ago. Last year wasn't great. The first couple seasons. That's, I mean, is that just saying because he's an alumni, he is an alumni there, right? Fleck is an alumni of. I think so. Uh, Effort this. This is what happens when you have a long day. Parts of the brain just shut down. No, no, he played for Northern Illinois, so no real – not like a hometown tie there. So seven years for them, that is a long extension. Um, Obviously, the agents got the whispers about teams interested in him and maybe coming after him. So They like uh, rowing the boat there. They like rowing the boat. Us as Virginia Tech fans will say you just made a good mistake because if he starts stinking it up, you're going to have to determine how much money is it worth to buy out his contract. Um, yeah, yeah, they're in a similar, 
similar boat to, to what we were in uh, a little bit later in the process in terms of when the extension's coming down the pike. But, um, you know, I, if they're if they're technically not counting twenty twenty against him, uh, they're they're pretty much extending yeah. Fuente off the same strength that we extended yeah, Fuente. True. Or extending Fleck off the same street that we extended. Yeah, that's kind of what they're doing because that was a rebuild job there. And he went five and seven and seven and six his first years, then 11 and two, and obviously six and two this year. And now because chaos is happening, coastal chaos has found its way to the Big Ten West with everybody losing. They have a shot to make the championship game. So pretty crazy on that. Um, Brian, let's, let's flip to this next. We're talking about other conferences. The CFP poll was released yesterday, and here is our top 10. If you guys didn't hear, number 10, 7-1 Notre Dame. Number 9, 8-0 Wake Forest. Number 8, the surprising one to a lot of people, 9-0 Oklahoma at number 8. In front of them, number 7 Michigan at 7-1. The one that irritated me more than anything, Cincinnati at Eight and O at number six, Ohio State at seven and one, and the team in front of them at Oregon at four at seven and one, and then Michigan State eight and O, Alabama seven and one, and Georgia rightfully at eight and O. So, what do we think? Um, I don't like it. <laughs> well, which part? I mean, of the top ten, what don't you like? Um, I think they've got Oklahoma too low. I think they've got Cincinnati too low. I think they've got Bama too high. Um, I think they've got a situation where more than likely if both Oregon and Ohio state went out, Ohio state's probably going to jump Oregon, even though they won head to head. There's a whole lot of shit. I don't like in there. All right. The most pissed, the one that I'm more pissed off about with this than anything is just you put a one-loss Alabama team in, and you can say, well, I test says they're the best in the country. Best in the country lost a game. To it, who was at that point in time a meddling Texas A&M team. They, they're, they're somehow ranked in the top 15 at 14 at 6-2. and two. I shake my head at that. That's a team that almost lost Colorado. Hadn't looked too impressive. Lost by 10 to Arkansas. Um, couldn't get anything going. I don't like them there. If you want to put them at 4 or 5, Cool. That's fine. Um, what I also don't like is the Cincinnati one. They are the only – there are two teams that have beat top ten teams currently ranked, or three, excuse me. Yep. Michigan State, Oregon, and Cincinnati. One's in a t- Two are in the top four, one is not. I hate that. Absolutely hate that. And people can say, well, strength of schedule – the strength of schedule should, to me, is the biggest garbage-ass thing in college football. These schedules are made years upon years in advance. You could be making the yep. schedule, like right now in 2021, Virginia Tech is making the schedule. We're putting Alabama on our schedule in, what, 2029? Something absurd. What if they're one of the worst? That's probably, that's probably the earliest vacancy okay. we have. You put that in now, and what if they're trash in 2029? When we beat Alabama down in Tuscaloosa, they're five and seven. They're not good. Well, sorry, we don't get to make these decisions every year. 
which is something yep. that to me should be changed. It's just be like, we're wiping all these contracts. Literally, we're going to go in negotiations in the off season and figure it out. Um, let, let me ask this. Four years out, four years out should be the, the biggest window. Two. Two. And, and that's if you, that's if you're doing some sort of like home and home arrangement or two for one or something like that. Yeah. All right. Let me ask this, Brian. You mentioned to me earlier today. Um, well, actually, we'll hit it later. We're going to hit it a little bit later on uh, what you're going to, what you'd like to see done. So, but overall, if we look at the top 10, there is going to be a Big Ten team. Yep. There is. Um, as simple as that. If Oregon holds set serve, they're in. And then it's kind of the whole, if, Georgia beats Alabama, Alabama's out, Georgia's in, and then you're going to probably see Cincinnati and Oklahoma battle it out for the last spot. Yep. But and the bad thing is that Cincinnati's probably going to need every every team in front of them and two teams behind them to lose. And they still might need help because of the extra uh, conference championship game. Can I just say what I hope happens? Well, no, they'll have a conference championship game. AAC has a conference championship game, so they will still have a chance. Uh-huh. What I what I really hope happens, this is like my hope. My hope is Alabama beats Georgia. They get Georgia and Alabama in. They keep Oregon and Ohio State in. And they keep like four unbeaten teams at five, six, seven, eight, because the outcries will happen, the garbage, and everyone will be like, you need to get the playoff, not in 2026, like in 2025. Because clearly it's biased. Yep. So we're going to hit on this in a little while. We got a little segment coming up here that uh, Brian's going to hit a little bit more on this on. But Brian, let's give kudos out to Trey Turner. Not only the ACC wide receiver of the week, he was also acknowledged by the Senior Bowl as the Offensive Player of the Week. Obviously, you hear that. You full expectation Trey will probably be invited. Um, and how about just in general? We talk about Trey's stat lines. I mean, is he finally taking the step that we expected the last few years this year? Well, I think what helped him, especially in the last couple of weeks, is he's finally getting the volume that I think, you know, we we expected in terms of targets. Yeah. Um, and, and the more he's been targeted, the more he's he's out there making plays. And I, th- I think it's twofold. I think we we've put a, a, a focus on running the ball, and that's really trickled over into the passing game because if you can run effectively, a lot of things open up for the passing game. And when we are passing the ball, it's been a more concerted effort to get Trey the ball, get Trey the ball where he can get some run after the catch. It hasn't just been the the shots down the field. He's been getting the ball in space. Uh, in the middle of the field a couple times last week. So it's a little bit of a different different look. And hopefully we continue that and, and Trey continues to have a, uh, a, a another big week here for us. Absolutely. Just just target that man the ball. Get him in space. And that's something, you know, you've been screaming for a long time. And I think probably what he did this week on tape, especially showing the, the breaking of the tackle and the rack ability, as much as you want deep threats in the NFL, the NFL is even in that game now where it's space. We're going to get you the ball in space. You must be able to break tackles. You must be able to have change of direction. So yep. 
the last few weeks, he's, it's really, really been on, on display for him to hopefully move and, his and That's what he's excelled at, I mean, in his career. I mean, you look at what he's done with jet sweeps, being able to break a tackle a line of scrimmage, get up field, good vision, uh, break some of those for long gains. Um, he's still good at going up and getting the ball, but he's so good with the ball after the catch. Um, and it's, and it's not just his speed, but he just has a knack for kind of seeing the right angles, which has helped him break tackles, which has helped him find, find lanes. Um, so again, kudos to him. Uh, big shout out to Trey Turner. Big week. Hopefully we'll see another one. Absolutely. All right, Brian, let's go hit some other hokey notes here. Um, Jamari Connor, um, got dinged a little bit. And they were asked about it on Monday, and he was official that he practiced on Monday. But let's be honest, um, Mike Hawkins looked good on Saturday. Yeah, um, yeah I was actually I, – I was, I was pleasantly surprised with um, how Hawkins came in and played. Um, it was – I didn't really see much of a drop-off, which was um, – Probably not something I expected necessarily, but you know, it turned out to be a good thing. Um, he came in there, made some big plays. Um, you know, we 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 held them pretty much in check for a lot of the a lot of the time he was out there. Um, and I think the biggest thing is that there were not any glaring uh, issues where you said, "All right, we got somebody else in there for for Chamari." Um, you know, went went pretty smooth. Um, but you know. Good, good to have Chamari back on the field for, uh, practicing Monday. So that that's a good sign. Um, I know we didn't get any updates on uh, Mario or Luke, um, so we'll see if uh, if they are available um, going into into Friday. Um, yeah, against BC. no updates on them. I have nothing, no comment, nothing, nothing. Like, come on, coach. Like, give us something. Um, uh, you kind of wonder of those two. They're both very important. Kendrick's own, obviously. The um, obviously with the defensive line rotation and Luke, obviously holding down the left side. Um, who do you think's more important? Who do you want back in there? Uh, I I would take Mario. I think the the line held up. Um, fairly well in Luke's absence. Um, I think just depth wise, uh, I mean, both areas are, are a concern depth wise, but as much as we rotate and need to rotate, I, I'd rather have more of that uh, depth on defense. Got you. All right, Brian, let's roll on here. Um, this was done last, this commitment for Reed Pulliam, the three star out of Life Christian Academy here in the RBA down in Colonial Heights. Um, made after we recorded and with sort of the adjustments we had to make to our episode recap for Georgia Tech. We didn't get it in here, but we're getting a shout out now. 6'3", 220 pounds. He's listed as a wide receiver. I do not see him ever taking a snap at wide receiver for the Virginia Tech Hokies as he was recruited by Ryan Smith and Jack Tyler. Um, What what do you think? He's he's a three-star, got rated like an 84, so – Solid rating for a guy who had no rating um, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be an interesting one. It looks like he could be um, a, you know, we we talk about Hawkins, we talked about Chamari. This this could be our next nickel 
Um, if you think about the responsibilities there and the guys that were, that recruited him, that seems to fit a little bit. Right. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see. He, he could end up giving us some wide receiver depth, but I look for him to play that nickel position for us in the long run. Absolutely. Um, I don't know. Six three two twenty. There's a lot you could do with him. I think that's that's one of those guys that probably classifies more as an athlete than a specific position. So um, see where he fits best. Put him there. Let him run um, early. So again, but again, it's another Virginia pickup. It's another eight oh four pickup. Again, we talked about the refocus of Virginia for this class, and it continues to pay dividends. I mean, you know, Brian, I think looking just the other day, we're still holding strong at 19 in the country. Um, And a lot of the big dogs are kind of ahead of us. So if anything, we're not going to move too, too much because the fluctuation is probably going to come between 15, probably between 15 and one between now and signing day. Yeah, we might back outside, like just outside the top 25, but I don't see us going much outside of that. Um, and probably could still stick in the top 25. Um, uh, you know, and, and that's overall, a, you know, what you expect every year yep. from the Hokies, uh, top 25 class. Um, and, and we need to start seeing some more development. We need to start seeing how the classes are um, stacked together um, in a mm-hmm. more logical fashion um, to, to give this roster more depth and, uh, the things that it needs, but um, you know, if you're looking at just a one-off um, situation here, you know, 20, 2022 is probably as good as we've seen in a few years, and it it looks to be a, a pretty well balanced class, all things considered. Yep, it's going to be really interesting to see. Give us just about uh, three and a half months. I'm doing it right: November, December, January, February. Yeah, three and a half months you'll get your recruiting <laughs> recap episode <laughs> from us. Yeah. We, we don't break it up into two segments. We talk a little bit about the guys, but then Brian, we get more of a break. You go into more of a breakdown of each guy once February rolls around because somebody's that's, that's usually our, that's usually our official kickoff to the, to the oh, new season. Exactly. All righty. Brian, yesterday here in the state of Virginia, we had elections for yep. major state offices, the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general. And I'm sitting here and I'm stealing something from our buddy Wes McElroy, who a lot of times on his election days, he will do if you were president of sports. Well, that's too broad. What I wanted to do, <clears throat> what I wanted to do, good sir, was, Brian Siegler, you are the governor of college football. What is the thing you would change all right, so you know how I feel about the playoff um, and wanting a twelve-team playoff. Correct. So th- this this is going to be a, a twofer. Okay. Give me my twelve-team playoff, and outside of the automatic bids that we have already discussed previously on this, bring back the BCS to fill out the out at large. Oh, Mister Controversy here. Um, why, why so? Why do you want the BCS versus just the committee? So when we look at the college football playoff top 10 and just the rankings in general, what I'm seeing 
is a de-emphasis of the actual games being played on the field and a focus and emphasis on eye test and <laughs> brand. Do you have anything to present to me about this? Um, I mean, see Alabama, see the lower ranking of uh, Cincinnati relative to its competition. Cincinnati, say what you will about their whole strength of schedule. Cincinnati has better wins than Alabama right now. Full stop. Full fucking stop. So, I mean, don't give me this, well, who are they going to play? Yeah, well... Well, this, is the, this is the this is the college ranking for this fucking week, not the end of the season. Alabama is not the second best team based on their resume. I mean, I agree with that. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, but like, what's the difference? I mean, what's what's the BCS saying? I mean, you're you're you're, you're stomping on it, but what's the BCS saying? Like, give right. me some difference because. Yeah, so so there's a simulated BCS versus college football playoff. Uh, the big thing is you've got Georgia's still one in both. Uh, no two is since two is Cincinnati. Oh. Three is Oklahoma. Oh. So Cincinnati's up four points. Oklahoma is up six. No yep. five. Okay, five. Then you got Bama at four. Michigan, I mean, the the qualm I have in this top five, so you got Bama, then Michigan State, then Ohio State. The only thing I'd do different in that one is that I'd swap Oklahoma and Michigan State and then call it a fucking day. Everything else is exactly as I would line it up. Okay. So what you're saying is what you want to move to is basically what what a lot of people stressed about and hate about the BCS. They were like, well, uh, it's just the computers, but it wasn't. It was the Harris poll, which is a human poll, and it was computers. Yeah. Would you would you still have some sort of committee with a voice? Like, would you have the Harris poll is what we're going to have, then we're going to have the computer rankings, and then we're going to have the, essentially a four-layer approach to where everybody gets 25% say? No, I think I think I would just go computer and Harris. Okay, um, and and I tell you why because yeah, I think what we're seeing when you look at March Madness, the reason that that type of committee works is because they can still put teams in there that they feel deserve, and there can be upsets, and the upsets can matter but there's still enough brand power where that doesn't potentially water down the marketing angle for the networks, the media, the, and the NCAA as a whole. So they're not looking at it from a brand pers- whether it's inherent or, or, yeah. or purposeful. I, I get what you're saying. There's some degree of bias there with the brands and the, the narrower you get with that, the more problematic it becomes with, you know, 68, it doesn't become as much of a factor. Eventually they're going to get enough cream that makes it to the final four to sweep the pot. Yeah. Because usually in, in the NCAA, you're Kansas, Duke, Carolina, UCLA. You're at least going to get one big name and about in two, at least second tier, if not higher tier, yeah, okay. uh, making you. it to uh, the final four. 
So you basically what you're saying, the NCAA tournament is because of the way it's set up, there's going to be a bunch of teams that are in that are name brands regardless. College yep. football, there's a lot of name brands, but it's more attractive when you're talking about four teams to immediately attract towards the most known brand in the most, you know, the most regarded conference. You also only have three event games in the college football playoff, whereas you have a lot of event <laughs> games in the NCAA tournament. What is it? 32, 16, 8, <laughs> 4, 2, 1. <laughs> it's, why, it's why those first two days are awesome. Exactly. So, buddy, uh, you are now the governor of college football. What you got for me? Well, this governor says, mine's not as deep as yours. Mine's one of the most simplistic fixes that would, A, help the marketing of college football, the branding, and help the fans. Monday night ain't the place for the title game. I'd love it to see it on a Saturday night, but it'll always overlap with the NFL playoffs. That'll never happen. But normally – that week leading up to is the first set of wildcard games Thursday night. 8 o'clock, 8.05 kick, not 8.35, not 8.40. Killing us here. 8 o'clock, 8.05 kick, Thursday night. Okay. Okay. I mean, you know, you think about the title games in general and, you know, the amount of people that are having. Usually it's lined between week 17 or the first weekend of wild card. So, you know, the the biggest thing with it is you want to draw more eyes. A lot of people are football at outcome Monday, whether they like college football or not. If you watch all the wild card stuff or the week 17 NFL stuff, um, you know, it's one of those things where I just feel like they're missing out on a boatload and I do say this, a boatload of people, um, you know, usually they're averaging somewhere between 20 and 25 million. And that's a lot of people. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. But if you put it on a Thursday night and, and A, you'd have, just, just hear me out here for whoever network has it. So you're going to come in Monday and it's going to be NFL, whatever week it is, right? NFL talk. Well, that's when they're trying to get the game ready. So you don't have any build-up time. So you roll in Monday, NFL talk, cool. Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there's going to be a mix, right? There's going to be a mix. And primarily Wednesday, Thursday, as you're leading into that game, the amount of buzz that is going to be generating for it. And then I'm one of these – I think if you could move to Thursday – I think probably they would average six to eight million more. They'd be in the 30 to 40 million range versus the 20 to 25. And for us as fans, it would make it a lot easier to stay up on a Thursday night or go out to a bar or have your buddies over. It's like tomorrow's Friday. And it's an early Friday, so it might be uh, first day off of the new year right there. There you go. So there you go. Make us governors of college football. We will change everything for the better. Trust us. Trust us. Brian wants to bring back the BCS to get rid of any bias. I just want a Thursday night. (laughs) Not any bias, but as much bias as possible. (laughs) I want a Thursday night title game. So I don't, if I drink too many of these, 
I only can, it's only one day to feel bad about it. It's true. And, you know, when you think about it, it's, it's awkward taking the Tuesday after going back on a Monday. It's perfectly fine dropping a Friday in there and just rolling into a long weekend. Where were you yesterday? I was hungover. Yep. (laughs) All right, guys, before we get into knowing the enemy, Boston College, we are going to take a quick pause for a message from our digital partners. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, guys, time for Know the Enemy. We're going to start with the offense this week of the Boston College Eagles, who currently sit at four and four, coming in with a four-game losing streak. Offense, you look at the numbers, they're a little tricky because it's almost like the first four and the last four. You know, look at all eight games. They're averaging, you know, right at 26 points a game. Not terrible. Close to middle of the pack. But if you look deeper, the last four games, they're averaging 10. They're averaging 10 points a game the last four games, which is just absolutely dreadful. Similar to that, third down conversion, you look, they're about middle of the pack, a little bit higher. The last uh, four games, 19 for 64. That is right at 30, 29%. It's not good at all. So clearly the loss of Dracovic, um is hurting them. And, you know, but they're, they're still a dangerous team. And the yep. guy we're going to start with first, Brian, Zay Flowers, the junior out of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, three-star when he came out, 5'10", 177 pounds, 35 receptions, 511 yards, 14.6 per reception, two touchdowns. Now, this is something I just noticed. Did you know, Brian, his freshman year, Zay Flowers got almost 200 rushing yards. I did so know that. You did know that. So, I mean, I don't expect to see him in the backfield or anything, but what is what what is he bringing to the table? Some guy we we've, we've seen multiple years now from BC. Uh he brings a little bit of everything and, and they don't really use him in the in the backfield or on like jet sweeps or anything like that as they did a couple years back. Uh, but what they do use him as is they really line him up all over the field, uh, full route tree at his, his at his complement. He can he can run all the routes uh, and do really everything that this offense asked of him. Uh, he's very quick, and so he can beat you deep. Uh, but they also run him on a lot of those stick mover routes as well to to get underneath the DBs to 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 keep the ball matriculating down the field. And they've had to do a lot more of that uh, without. Uh, Jerkovic in the game because they are not as good at pressing the ball down the field uh, since he's been down. So uh, he's he's been working a lot more underneath uh, the DBs than taking the top off uh, in recent weeks. Yeah, always been a good player, um, you know, for three years. And he's someone that to me it's – to me it's it's Jermaine Waller's job to just go shadow him in a sense, like go out there. He's their best. Uh, they don't offer much else besides him in the passing game um, from a wide receiver standpoint. 
So, you know, just to me, hold him between 50 and 75 yards. It's going to make this game a hell of a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. If you can keep him under that 80-yard threshold, uh, then I feel pretty good about the overall uh, matchup. Absolutely. All right, Brian. Not going to talk about any other wide receivers, but somehow Boston College keeps finding six foot six, two hundred fifty pound tight ends. They found another one from the transfer portal from Jackson State. In Trey Barry it was a two star when he came out a few years ago. Again, six six, about two hundred fifty pounds. Um, Eighteen receptions, two hundred eighty eight yards, and three TDs. Um, Jacksonville State last year when they played. 33 receptions, 534 yards, and just a touchdown. So, clearly, he does have an offensive game that can be beneficial um, to a team. What are you seeing from him on tape with his first year up in Division One football? Yeah, I mean, he's a little bit more of a joker-style tight end than that prototypical um, tight end that we've seen uh, Boston College implement in recent years. and. They've had some success with that type of tight end. Um, this is this is guy's a little bit different. Uh, he's adequate, but he's not an overly impressive blocker. Um, so he's not going to go out there and have a great impact in the running game. But he's also not a liability either. Um, he's above average after the catch for a tight end. Um, but you know where he really excels is on those not just stick movers like curls, but also on seams and crossers. Um, that's where he really makes his bread and butter because he does a good job of getting the ball, getting it upfield. Uh, he had a, a play against Colgate early in the season where he hurdled a a, a DB and, and then ran into the end zone. So he's he's got some athleticism, um, can make some plays. So it's, it's a guy you got to get to the ground uh, once he gets the catch. All right. If we see him come on inline um... – you're saying he's not a liability, but if he's coming in on the end line, is it something like a 60-40, 65-35 split? Okay, they're passing. He's on the end line. Don't let it fool you. Um, they, They'll mix it up. I mean, just because he's in line doesn't mean it's not it's not coming at you. Okay. Um, but like I said, he's, it's not that he's a liability. It's just that, you know, he's, he's not going to go out there and, and give you a, a – uh, a B plus grade in his uh in his run blocking. Gotcha. Makes sense. All right, Brian, let's turn it over now to the running back, Pat Garwo the third. Um five foot eight, two hundred and fourteen pound. What do they always call that? The rolling bowling ball of butcher, rolling of butcher knives. Five eight, two hundred that's crazy size. Six hundred and ninety yards so far this year, averaging about six yards a carry with five touchdowns. Now, the way to kind of look, it's almost go, you look at, you know, your macro and you see those numbers and think, man, this guy's on pace to easily rush for over a thousand yards. Um, probably going to have seven to eight touchdowns. But when you go micro on it, he's really had two big games. And that was the game against UMass and the game against Mizzou where he went both over 150 yards. Um but the one thing I kind of see impressive with him, he's only been under four yards of carry in one game. That was the Temple game. He was at 3.7. So even on the games where he's not getting 100, he's still over four yards of carry, most of them over a little bit over four and a half. Um, he was a high three-star when he came out of Ferris Hills, PA. 
So what are we seeing with him? Because if I look at their offense, it's a lot predicated on what he does. Yeah, I mean, uh, stop me if you heard this one before. Uh, a Boston College running back that runs hard and physical. <laughs> Every running back they've ever had. <laughs> um, and, and this one's no different. Um, he's not very fleet of foot. I mean, he's he's got he's got some speed, but he's not running away from the fastest defenders on the field. But he's got some sneaky wiggle. Um, and he's best between the tackles. He does lose some effectiveness, uh, when plays get strung outside, uh, just because he's not necessarily outrunning safeties or, or other DBs to the edge. Um, but when he hits between the tackles, gets to the second level, he can make guys miss in space. Um, and you know, not a home run hitter, but a guy that's going to wear you down as the game goes along. So, that's somebody that early in the in the game we need to keep behind the sticks uh, on first down. Don't let him get into a rhythm because um, that's going to you know come back to bite us later in the game. I hear you, Brian. Yeah, you mentioned not free foot. Also, stone hands. I think he has one reception all year. Um, so definitely north to south runner there. Um, but again, the there he has potential to have a big breakout game. Um, I know UMass and Mizzou, you know, they are what they are, but it's always, you see a guy do that. It's always, I think we're going to call it the Khalil Herbert effect. You see a guy have a game like that. It's in there and how we play against him is essentially what's going to happen. Now, also Brian, how the offensive line performs is probably going to be a big thing for Pat and to get his numbers. Give me some insight. What type of offensive line are we looking at here today? Uh, it's a very experienced line. Um, they get a good push, and they're very physical at the point of attack. When you think of a Boston College offensive line, um, this is very much in that mold, um, and, and they've they've really kind of gelled a little bit um, this season uh, to probably to be a little bit better than I think we anticipated uh, overall. Um, they are a little bit hamstrung in the fact that not being able to press the ball downfield in the last few weeks um, has started to to show in in their overall output numbers, um, but it's still an overall of, of a very uh, very good offensive line. Uh, bread and butter for this offensive line is uh, power and counter. Um, they they do a really good job pulling, getting up in the in the hole, and leading up for the running back. Uh, so look look for that those two plays as kind of being their bread and butter throughout the day. Um, as far as pass pro, um, definitely above average. Um, they, they do a good job, especially on the interior, not letting um, pressure get into the face of the quarterback, but they are a little suspect uh, at the tackle position. Yeah. Um, talking about them being pass pro, you know, looks about average. It's about right. They're giving up about 2.3 sacks per game, which is about 78, tied for 78th with numerous teams. So, somewhere right down there and around in the middle. Um, here's kind of a shocker because when we talk about Garo and you hear 690 yards in eight games, you probably would expect this number to be higher. They are only averaging 152 rushing yards per game. Um, and, again, I think it's what you just mentioned. There is that th- – the deep threat of downfield is going away more and more. Safety's coming up to the line. It's like he can't get it down there. So why are we going to give them more opportunity to do what they can do best? 
Now, Brian, this is the one that shocked me, and maybe you can explain. Maybe it's the type of offense they, offensive line scheme they have. They are a hundredth in giving up tackles for loss at almost six a game. You know, you, you think about it, that's usually going to be one right at one per drive. Usually teams average between seven and eight drives a game. So right at one. It's just just is this making mistakes or is this something based the offensive line in their scheme? Uh, it's a little of both, probably. Um, again, I haven't watched all of their film, so I, I was just basing it on the the two games that I did look at. Um, but just looking at what they're doing, because their bread and butter is a power, is the counter. Uh, when you've got linemen moving across the formation, uh, sometimes that has a propensity to create negative plays because there is voids that have to be um, accounted for where the where the lineman's pulling on the backside. Okay. Um, and sometimes that can create penetration. Sometimes that can get the running back off their uh, off their mark there, uh, and create those those negative plays. Uh, whereas with a zone, unless there's something specifically that the defense brings in terms of a run blitz or something like that, oftentimes you don't get that uh, crazy penetration into the backfield um, that, that you get in the, in those, those powers encounters uh, that BC likes to run. Absolutely. All right, Brian. We're going to get into the quarterback room next, and I, I didn't read this, so I'm, I'm going to you because you mentioned it just beforehand. What were you reading about Phil Dracovich? Um I've seen some rumblings on the Twitter sphere that Phil might be a go for Friday. Um, nothing confirmed, um, nothing from a source that I would say is unimpeachable, um, but enough whispers where it's something to look look for can i say something yeah please let him be the starter short week of preparation coming back off a hand injury where you know if the hand injury brian even if it's even if he's full go throwing they're still not going to be 100 percent right because whatever he had wrong with his hand is probably affecting his grip in some way so yeah start in bc please start him they really have a decision to make. I know we're about to talk about the quarterbacks here. And we're actually yeah. going to talk about three quarterbacks um, <laughs> now, now that we're looking at it. But, yeah. you know, there's really negatives to, to starting all three. I mean, Grossell yes. can't, can't push the ball downfield. Uh, Moorhead is a freshman that's probably going to be prone to make mistakes. Yeah, And you don't know how healthy or, you know, whether he's able to knock the rust off quick enough if you go with uh, – Jerkovic. So exactly. there are negatives uh, to, to starting any of these three quarterbacks. Um, but I'm going to start with Grossell here in terms of the breakdown. Um, he's, you know, senior, redshirt senior. Um, the fact that he wasn't starting as a redshirt senior probably tells you he's probably not the first guy they wanted out there. Yep. Um, <laughs> he's good at throwing the underneath stuff, especially um, kind of those timing routes. Um, tells you he's, he's been in the system for a while. He knows what he's doing. Um, but he's not, he's just not great at stretching the field and creating explosive plays. Um, the, the deep balls don't have a lot of touch on them. They're often overthrown, um, or not, not on target. Doesn't give the receiver a chance to really make the play. Um, and while he will run both by design and, and scramble, um, it's not really what, what his game is about. It's not really 
it's either an asset nor a liability, but it's just kind of something that that happens to keep the offense matriculating the ball downfield. It's not something that's really um, that they're scheming uh, to 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 really hurt the defense. It's more to kind of just keep things off balance. All right, and you know, Grissel's just your typical prototypical six foot one, two hundred twenty pounds. He was a preferred walk on, not even a scholarship player when he got there. You know. Five plus years ago, eleven hundred ninety-one yards, under sixty percent, at fifty-seven percent first completion percentage, six touchdowns, seven interceptions. So obviously, he is not lighting the world on fire. And obviously, after the the shine wore off for a couple games after Djokovic went out, the the flaws and the ugliness is starting to show. And it it, it showed to a point during the Syracuse game. That you already mentioned it. They brought in Emmett Moorhead, a six foot six, two hundred twenty five pound quarterback out of Alexandria, Virginia, three star. Um, and I mean, he didn't have a great. He went like six for fifteen. So clearly, he does not look ready. Do you agree with that, Brian? Uh, he doesn't look ready, and it's and it's more of it. The game is still a little fast for him. Um, so when I was looking at the tape, he has a much better arm and, and deep ball than Grossell, and it's not even close. But he is slower with the timing and processing in the offense. Um, he misses a lot when he feels pressure, especially when the pressure's in his face. Um, he's a similar type of athlete to Grossell. Um, you know, he, he doesn't mind taking off, but that's not something that's part of his game. Um, he did get banged up against Syracuse, um, so he was out of that game for a while. Um but when he was in there again, it 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 looked good when he had time, when it was a quick read. His first read was there. Uh, if he had to kind of look at the whole field and process and everything else, that's when it became problematic for him. So I think he's just the game is still too fast for him at this point, and I don't know if they will feel comfortable going with him for four quarters. Well, I think well, if we sense. see him in this game, it's going to be very similar to how Syracuse saw him. All right. Well, it makes sense, though. He came from Episcopal, you know, a private, you know, Christian school up in Nova. And, like, you know, they're playing teams like Collegiate, not a knock on Collegiate, but it's lower level. The best team they've played is the powerhouse to Matha this year, and they got steamrolled. So – you know, if you're if you're telling me a guy's coming from a league where it's elite competition, he could probably be more ready. But he's coming from a lower level, and you're trying to get him there. He's built. He's got the arm. He's a year or two away from doing anything for them. So I, I'm almost to this. Bring whoever they want to start on at quarterback because none of them scare me. Um, but defensive Phil Phil scares me, but I mean. We don't know how, how much Russ Phil is going to have and if he's still going to be healthy enough to get it done. I mean, Phil healthy is dangerous. You know, prime Big Ben. Um, True. Phil, Phil right now, I don't know what to expect. Well, either whatever you want to say, there was, there is going to be some sort of rust there. If there's not some sort of, you know, issue with, again, yeah. injury to the hand, getting the it's, ball. It's how, how, how quick can he knock the rust off and is that hand going to affect how he plays the game now even, even could, in its current state now they could just say screw it we we need to get bowl eligible he's we need him on the field to win one of these last two of these last four games so 
why not roll him out there now and try to knock it off and get a full week of practice. So either way, I feel good. Now, defensively, they're actually a pretty good defense, Brian. 31st in the country in scoring, giving up right at 21 a game, a top 15 third down stop team, um, right at 30% is what folks are converting off of them. Good red zone team, um, yeah. a top 30 there. They've given up in uh, 23 trips, 17 scores, 12 touchdowns, five five field goals, eight rushing, four passing. Um, and to me, the, the name that caught my eye looking up and down was a guy by the name of Jane Woodby, six foot, 220 pound defensive back out of one of the best high schools in the country, St. John Bosco out in California. Originally committed to FSU as a four-star, transferred into BC. Top 10 safety when he came out. Top 60 player when he came out. So a lot of the check marks are there. And obviously what happened to Florida State the last few years with all the turnover, he looked elsewhere. And he lightened up the stat sheet, 56 tackles, two picks, four pass deflections, a forced fumble that was returned for a touchdown. I think he could be a problem. Yeah, he, he pops off on tape. It's it's not even a joke. Um, he plays that strong safety, boundary safety, rover, whatever you want to call it, in that that four two five pressure D that uh, BC deploys. Um, he's he's the primary play side spill area defender. He does a really good job of coming up and um, making stops in the run game. He, he will occasionally get influenced, but it's it's not something that's an epidemic. Um, and he's really good uh, in defending the pass. I'd say above average in um, when he when he's matched up in man, and, and really damn good when he's playing the zone. Um, th- this is something I'll also ask, and it's not a knock on Tay Daly. This guy went to the portal. Why weren't we looking at him? I mean, that's that's I shake my head at it because a guy like him, where we need some safety depth, would immediately help us out. And I don't know, Brian. Maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm just fickle because <laughs> he went in the portal after 2020. We were in need of one for 2021. That was long before Hunter situation. Yeah, and, and I mean, going out there and getting two wouldn't hurt. I mean, no, bringing in Tay and bringing in a, a, a player like Woodby, I mean, that that would have been, you know, that that would have made the safety core probably close to equal to what the the cornerback uh, unit is is at. So, yeah. um, that 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 would have been a big help, no doubt. Um, and yeah. You know, that that's somewhat of a knock. I don't know if that's just an evaluation. I know we had an inside track on knowing the type of player that Tay was uh, when mm-hmm. from when Daryl Tapp was on the staff. Um, so I'm sure that probably had some role there. But you know, I wouldn't have had a problem bringing in two two safeties, even though I mean Tay, Tay's a tweener. He could have played free and strong. Um, you know, would be is a prototypical strong safety. Absolutely. All right. Next guy, Brian, let's talk about is their nickel corner or nickel backer, Josh DeBerry, 5'11, 176 pounds, 38 tackles, four for loss, two picks, also a forced fumble on his end, three star when he came out. What are you seeing from Josh DeBerry? 
Uh, I mean, it, it's a nickel. It's that kind of nickel whip in that four, two, five. He plays it very similar to Connor, um, early rundown responsibilities. Um, uh, they blitz him a good amount. He's got backside contain. He'll match up man to man on slot receivers. Um, the whole gamut there. Um, he's probably their most balanced run to pass player on the field. He does really good job, um, both against the run and the pass. Uh, great tackler, uh, pretty big hitter, um, but also has the athletic tools to, to hang with, um, some of those good slot receivers as well. Yeah. So a lot like Connor, but built more like a corner than more like a linebacker. Pro- pro- probably a little, little more of a corner lean there and, um, better in coverage overall than, than Connor is. Um, how much will, do they, will, will personnel groupings affect him getting on the field? Like if we stay in, you know, two tight end sets a lot, which we've been doing a ton, is he likely to be coming off the field or is he always there regardless? Uh, he's almost exclusively on the field and he doesn't really have a backup. He is, okay. he is their nickel. Oh, okay. Um, so unless unless he is hurt, <laughs> um, he's probably not coming off the field. All right. Good deal on that. All right. Next guy to look at, Brian, the true linebacker Cam Arnold, 6'1, 228, a three star who was out of West Bloomfield, Michigan. 36 tackles, one sack, three tackles for loss, and a forced fumble. Um, Mike, Sam, Will, where are we going to see? Number 27 lined up. Uh, he's their strong backer. He's Sam. Um, okay. He's a volume tackler. Um, he's also the primary blitzer if they're bringing an extra uh, defender. Um, five-man pressure. He's he's the guy that you're usually going to see. Um, he occasionally gets bad reads in the run game, though. Um, I've, I've seen him out of position a few times, so – Compare him very similarly to to Tisdale in that regard, where you know occasionally getting getting a bad read, a little bit out of position. Um, but unlike Tisdale, he is also a little suspect in coverage. But his his primary uh, attribute again is that he's a, a sound tackler, and that when he comes on those blitzes, he makes some noise. I got you. I'm assuming not quite the athlete Tisdale is. Not quite. Okay. And when you talk about the running game, is is he like? Is is this like a read option thing, or is it one? Of, is he taking bad angles to the gaps? Uh, it's usually in the reads. Um, he's oh. either he's either too aggressive or too hesitant. Uh, he hasn't found that that middle ground um, where he can get the read from the. I mean, usually his read is guard to quarterback, watching the quarterback's eyes. He's sometimes a little slow with that, um, and that means the the line. Lyman has already gotten to the second level can get, get in his pads. Um, or he'll pick, you know, pick too soon, pick early, not wait for his read. And then, you know, he's in a bad place. So. You got it. All right, Brian, let's take a look here. Let's finally look at the line. Um, guy you mentioned, you want to talk about tonight was Cam Horsley, a six foot two, 290 pound defensive tackle out of Riverton, New Jersey with a three star when he came out. Um, only one sack this year, but to be a defensive tackle at 27 tackles, that's um that's a pretty high number. What are we seeing out of this big guy? Yeah, uh, he's kind of the guy that makes that defensive line going. The defensive line is definitely uh, 
in terms of the full unit, the strength of the defense. Um, they really make an offensive line earn it. Um, and he has a good motor for a, a big guy, um, you know, nearly 300 pounds there. He plays the three technique for them. Um, if they go like a true nickel on third down where they roll a three man front out there, he is the, he, he slides to the, the nose. Um, he's better against the run than the pass. He's not an elite pass rusher by any stretch. Um, but he's really good at fighting through combos on those run plays and, uh, does, does a good job of disrupting in the backfield. All right. Brian, you mentioned that they're a good defensive line. It's kind of the, the, the linchpin of their defense. But I was you know, noticing here, they don't sack the quarterback that much. They're actually one of the worst in the country. Um, only They've only got, you know, 11 sacks for the entire year. So what is are they good at setting edges? And what are they good at? You said they're the linchpin and the best part of the defense, but they're not sacking the quarterback a lot. What do they do very well? They are the reason that teams struggle to run the football. And I, and I think that they overall do a good job of kind of making the run game slow down to a slog. Um, when you look at the Syracuse tape, until they started to bust, they, they, they busted, I think, two, two big runs in that game. Um, but when when they do a good job of not letting the running back and quarterback get to the second level uh they keep running games pretty much in check all right um and, and you know you take away that one big run that uh that Sean had i mean it, it's a it's a it's a still a good day but um for for a team that's that was that focused on the running game um, I think they did a pretty good job against Syracuse overall. Uh, the first half in particular, where they really kind of shut the whole the whole offense down um, for for most of the uh, the first half there. Got it. All right. So there's your offenses and defensive looks at the Boston College Eagles. Now let's flip it over to the IOTA version of the Hokies. And Brian, I'm gonna say this: we're gonna start with the offense. Justin Fuente being part and being a ton in that offensive room, it is not a small iota. It's paid big dividends the last two weeks, not only in yards production, but also in points on the board. So if if you're in there and what do you hope he's saying that keeps us, you know, improving scoring points, moving the ball significantly better to to the tune of what almost 80 yards a game in two weeks? Yeah, and I think the thing that I mean, I think they talked about it, and there's you know they're saying, well, yeah, it's still corn calling the play. Yeah, I know it is, but what Brad Cornelson is not good at is the little things, and what Justin Fuente is good at is the little things, at least in terms of scheme planning, everything like that. When we look at the game plans for like a week one, we see Justin Fuente's fingers all over an offensive game plan. Um, when we look at the last couple of weeks, you start to see it a little bit more too. Um, and I think that's, that's the thing that, that Brad Cornelson struggles at. And that's the thing that Justin Fuente is good at is the, those kind of little things. And and what he's focused on primarily is, you know, commitment back to the running game um, and seeing areas where if we tweak personnel groupings, if we 
uh, tweak, you know, who's, who's getting the emphasis, who's getting those touches. Um, you know, we've seen distinctly a effort to get Trey the ball and to get Malachi Thomas the ball the last two weeks. And that has had trickle down effect throughout the whole offense. All right. So when you talk about Trey is you mentioned something here, calculated shots, right? Not just essentially not doing what we did. Was it against uh Pitt? Pitt. Not not Pitt. Just shot, 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 where we took we had the gallow shot downfield off the pop pass, and we had the tray shot that wound up in the touchdown. Yeah, we we need to take calculated shots. Uh, so what we don't want to see is the third and one call uh, <laughs> from last week. What we do want to see is some of those big plays um, down the field, like the one to Trey, like the one to Gallo that you mentioned. Um, and and again, calculated shots, calculated risk. That you know, I talk about this all the time on on this show, right? Um, when we talk about calculated risk, we're talking about the ability to see in a situation where can I take a little bit of a chance and it not hurt me too bad. Yeah. And, and that's going to be in taking the shots because that they're going to give you that they're going to be up at the line of scrimmage against the wide receivers. Um, they're going to have um, pretty much everybody, but the corners and the, the free safety in the box most of the time. Um, so we need to be able to, assess the situation and, and take, take those risks every now and again. But you also want to make sure that, um, you know, you're, you're doing the smart thing with the football as well. And also making sure you're still attacking every area of that defense to keep them honest. It's true, Brian. Um, now the other thing, I think what kept us from probably scoring over 30 and maybe even mid thirties, you know, we had some bad procedural penalties. Is there anything when when you guys would have a game like that at Sydney where, you know, y'all had some false starts, somebody wasn't lined up correctly? Is there anything you guys would do back then that maybe they've implemented this week to know it's only one game, but we don't want it to grow into a bigger problem? Yeah, we have these things called 100-yard gassers that were really a big deterrent to, to procedure penalties. <laughs> All right. So to to be real, though, um, you know, we we talked about the one um, that was called on Parker Clements that was as phantom as it gets. Um, There was a questionable, you know, I say it's questionable um, personal foul that was called on Brock Hoffman. Then you had a couple offsides at key moments. Uh, But all of these put you either behind the, the sticks or in early downs or. Um, from a third manageable to a third and long on, on third downs. And that's what you want to avoid. And we had probably a good handful of those situations against Syracuse, and we need to limit those against BC because up front BC is better than Syracuse. All right, Brian. You, you mentioned to me just a little while ago that we've got to stay efficient on third downs. We're, we're, we're not as terrible as some people think. I mean, we're 42nd in the country at it. And, you know, we're, we're converting about 43.5%. We were 45 last week. It, it, if, if we stay at our mean, and let's say we, we get 15 third down opportunities, and let's say we convert seven of them, is that enough against this defense 
and potentially the offense on the other side of the ball, or does it need to be just a little bit more? I think that's probably the minimum we can get away with. I think we probably need to be a little bit better if we want this to be a comfortable win. Oh, okay. So if it's if if we hit the average, it's a few. It's a touchdown win. If we're below the average, get the beers, get the Maylocks out, get your yeah. favorite comfort food out because you're gonna be sitting there Friday night feeling miserable. You might you might need the Maylocks for the uh, for the seven because it might come <laughs> down to the wire. Oh, man. All right, so there you go, guys, the offense. A lot of things you've heard we've been talking about the last few weeks that we've seen more of the last few weeks. Now, Brian, with the defense, we've already mentioned their offense is in an absolute rut right now. And, you know, I'm I'm just going to guess that load the box, whoever's playing strong safety will be within three yards of the line of scrimmage. Uh, we definitely need to make them beat us by throwing the football and preferably throwing the football down the field. Um, and when I say that, I also want to say I don't want to let Zay Flowers beat us with one place. We still need to be sound in the secondary and not let Zay Flowers beat you deep. But within that, I would rather them try to throw the ball to beat us than just pound Garwell all game. All right. If they're if they're averaging six yards a carry with Garwo, it's gonna be a long day. Even if we pull out the victory, it's gonna be a long damn day. I would much <laughs> I would much rather regardless of who's pulling the trigger, I would much rather them try to throw the ball against us. Ten to the four on that. Um would you be even as good as Waller is, would you be in favor potentially a bracket or wherever Zay Flower is constantly somebody over the top of him? No, because they do have other guys that can can go deep on you. Um, okay. And that becomes more of a problem if if it's uh, Moorhead or if it's uh, Jerkovic in the game. Um, it's going to be very less than 50-50 if, uh, if Grissel's in there um, in terms of push, driving the ball downfield consistently. Um, he'll hit one every now and again. It's just it's it's not his game. It's not what he does, um, and it gets worse the more pressure you you put on him. Um, but th- the key is going to be because they might have to end up playing that underneath game is that we have to tackle, 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 tackle Garwo because he's if he gets going early, it's going to wear us down as the game goes on. Tackle him early in the game, get him to the ground. Don't let him get in rhythm. Yep, and. and- can I can I just say something real quick? Yeah. All right. We won last week. If we tackle better last week, that game is probably an easier game to stomach. It's probably two touchdowns. If we tackle better against Syracuse, we win that game. And I could go back even further. The games that we have not tackled, well, we have not won. And West the Virginia, seven, Notre West, Dame. So you, you go through it, West Virginia – is not as good as us, but we had a terrible tackling game early. They beat us. Notre Dame is better than us. Some people say they're slightly overrated. That's fine. They're still a top 20 team. We had a bad tackling game. We lost to them. The Pitt game, I'm throwing away. Never remember that one again, but the Syracuse game. So three of our four losses, bad tackling games, are, are a primary reason we lose. And if you're playing someone like BC, who is not as talented, who are missing players, 
missing tackles just gets the confidence up. Yeah, uh, and you know when when we talk about that, an extension of that is don't extend drives for them, and some of that is don't miss tackles that ultimately turn what should have been a you know fourth and three into a fourth and one. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't miss tackles that turn what what should have been a fourth and five into a first down. Like there there are so many times where you know, one missed tackle or just being there a hair late and then not not forming them up or fitting them up and all of a sudden they, they got a first down instead of it being fourth down uh, you know so many times that we were in position to make it a fourth and three or more that it became a fourth and one and with our you know record against fourth down they elected to go forward and they get it again because it's 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 a short down there yep um and we can't we can't commit silly penalties we had a, we had a couple of those on defense last week yeah. um so that's the big thing for me this week is don't let actions that you can control extend drives for the other offense. This, the team we're playing is they're limited in what they can do. By all means, the easy stuff, don't let that become the problem. If the easy stuff of tackling and dumb penalties become the problem, they can win this game. All right, Brian. So we're going to go to prediction time here, and I'm going to lead us off. Um, the last couple weeks, you know, we played great offensively. Um, I just wonder if the short week hurts us. And defensively, I, I, I don't want to throw this all on the defense, but I, I don't know. Just my pessimistic side is still with us. And I'm going to go 23-20 BC in some garbage-ass field goal or late touchdown that seems to always happen against BC and they get us up there. So you see a return to the mean for the offense. I mean, (laughs) you know what? It's, it's the whole ones, ones, the one, two, three thing. They do it a third time. Maybe I have some faith in them, but there's still pieces here and there. I see, I just can't trust and we know how thin we are on the defensive side of the ball. And if they're pounding into us all game long, that defensive line is going to wear as we get later in the game. And that's my okay. fear. What about okay. you? I've got 27-21 VT. All right, six points. So it's going to be a grinder. Yeah, we got we got a Maylox game, guys. Um, and this one's probably going to be one of those where we either take the lead late or we kick a field goal to take it out of uh, from from a one score to a uh, they need a touchdown, uh, and then we have to kind of watch the clock uh, trickle away on them. Um, so yeah, I foresee a Maylox game that the that, that the Hokies are able to pull out there, but yeah, I don't I don't I don't necessarily see a ton of difference regardless of what quarterback starts. Like I said, there's going to be a negative side. The, the the only way BC comes out and completely surprises us is that if, for whatever reason, Jerkovic is 100% healed and he knocks off the rust in two drives, and all of a sudden we're dealing with <laughs> we're dealing with with peak uh, Jerkovic for you know three and a half quarters, and that would not be great at all. All right, Brian, let's flip it over to Saturday Pickums. 
if y'all did not listen to the episode um, from Monday, Brian coming off a 9-0-1 week with the bad beat at the Clemson game. He's 51-40. You should not be taking that in the end zone. You should be just diving on it and ending the game. Um, I went 6-3-1 last week. They got me as well. I'm at 52-39-1. So, technically, Brian, if people had played every single one of our plays, either all of yours or all of mine, they would be making money because we are uh, both – well above 500 actually there's no way we can go under 500 even if we screw up every game this week which i don't foresee us doing that so let's start brian acc wake versus unc in an out of conference game it's the stupidest thing you've ever heard of right unc is the favorite in this game by two and a half (coughs) wake how i don't know I mean, they're literally saying it's a home game, so we're making UNC the favorite. Wait. Am I leading lead on this one? No, I'm leading on this one. Okay. Because uh, I've still got the lead in the overall standings. But i got to take Wake here. Um, UNC's defense can't stop anything. They will not stop Wake. And I think Wake's defense is good enough probably to stop UNC two to three times. I think Wake wins this game going away somewhere like 42-28, 45-30. But I cannot see UNC winning this game, much less laying points. What about you? Yeah, I'm actually on the Wake train as well. I, I think they take care of business here. Um, I still don't know how UNC every week is picked to win their game. Like, have we not seen this defense? Have we not seen how, while while good, how hot and cold their offense can still be yep. from from uh, drive to drive? Mm-hmm. Um, so I've got to take Wake here. They played solid all year. They can control the clock, control the line of scrimmage. They've got the just as much of a veteran quarterback at this point as UNC. Um, I just think they're able to take care of business. All right, so we're both taking wake on that one. Next one, Brian, you lead Duke versus Pitt. Pitt is laying 21 points. Poor Duke, man. They're going to get an angry Pitt, and Pitt's going to fucking steamroll them. So give me Pitt. Um, Pitt is definitely going to steamroll them. If this line was 28 and a half, I'd still take it. It's one of those things where it's like, I don't know if some of the betting apps out there you can buy up. I know there's been – I've seen it before where you can buy down. Like if the line is like – the line, oh, you know, you're this and you're laying seven points. Well, I don't think they're going to win by seven. Well, you can pay X amount of dollars and buy it down to three. I'd buy this up to 28 and a half. <laughs> like okay. whatever it takes because I think they're going to steamroll them. I mean, I don't think Duke gets to 17, and I think Pitt gets to 50. All right, this is going to be a great one for you, Brian. You get lucky that I lead. Georgia Tech, Miami. Miami, the last two weeks, has been out there playing great um, with Van Dyke, the freshman quarterback. Um, And they're laying 10 points to Georgia Tech. And as much as I don't like Georgia Tech, I – there's now multiple game tape of Van Dyke out there. 
And even though as bad as the Georgia Tech defense is, I just think 10 is too much because just when the Miami offense finds it, you know, starts figuring things out, their defense is still struggling. And I do think that, you know, Sims and Gibbs are going to give them problems. So give me Georgia Tech. Give me the 10 points. All right. I'm going gonna, uh, gonna to differ from you here. I'm going to go Miami here. I think they've, they're on to something offensively. And I think their defense is able to do just enough to keep them, the Georgia Tech offense, from from keeping it close. So I think it's, pro- it's, a, it's probably not more than 13 or 14, but I think they end up uh, pulling out about a two-score two victory there. All right. All right. I'm glad you picked against me on that because we know how – you know, you, you've been right a few weeks on Georgia Tech. It's time to get back on the other way. Yeah, let's not talk about that, man. <laughs> All right. Florida State, NC State. I mean, did you did you get a chance to look at this line yet? I did. Does it smell like crazy? So, so, something smells funky, man. Um, it smells so funky to me, and I, I'm just going to jump up and say it. Uh, give me NC State, lay in the three points. Because, you know, Florida State just had played a good defense with some trouble, with, with a troubled offense. They almost pulled it out. Um, but I think NC State offensively, they're not – they don't have the, the, the big-time playmakers, the big-time names that Clemson does. But I think they're just more steady. And I think the NC State defense will lock up the Florida State offense much like Clemson did. So – only laying three, yeah, give me that. Yeah, I'm on the NC State train as well. Um, I don't know how it's three. Um, I know FSU has shown a little bit more fight in the last couple weeks than they have the majority of the season, say for week one. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm still not seeing enough where I would pick them against uh, NC State with the line as low as three. So I'll take NC State here. All right, we're on the NC State train. Here's a good one for you, Brian. Louisville coming off consecutive losses against Clemson. Clemson laying four points. Yeah, I'm leading on this one, right? Um, Yeah, you get to lead on this one. Thank goodness. I'm going to take Clemson. Clemson bit me last week. Um, I I said last week they haven't beaten any team by more than that matters by more than one score. And they wouldn't have if not for the fumble return. So I think that still holds, but I think it's going to be a touchdown advantage here. So give me Clemson. Yeah. And and Louisville is coming off, you know, you know, the loss by 15. I, I, I'm torn on this one too, but I think four is just not enough to lay. Because I think Clemson will tie up that offense most of the game. I don't I don't think Clemson's gonna get to much more than 23, 24 points. But I don't I, I can't see Louisville getting I can't see Louisville, you know, being in the ballpark with them. I think FSU okay. has some studs. I don't think Louisville has enough studs to run with them. All right, Brian, let's go out of conference now. Hendon Hooker Bowl. Continuously keeping an eye on the man down at the University of Tennessee. And this week, they get the ranked Kentucky Wildcats coming in. Kentucky, who's, you know, coming into the game, ranked 18th, 
They are six and two. This game is at Kentucky. Kentucky is laying a very, very small two points here. Essentially getting the home field advantage. What do you oh no, it's my turn. Um honestly, as much as I love Hendon, Kentucky's just to me too good of an overall team. Um to say that small of a margin. If it was a touchdown, I'd probably be thinking more Tennessee. But two against a well-balanced team is just not enough because I think Kentucky's going to score some points. I think Tennessee's going to score a little bit. But in the end, Kentucky wins, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30-24, Okay. If this line was four and not two, I would have taken Tennessee. Um, so I'll take Kentucky. I think it's a field goal victory late. All righty. But Brian is going to be taking Tennessee there. And the next game, Brian, the undefeated Michigan State Spartans against kind of a wily Purdue crew led by Jeff Brom, Michigan State only laying three points against Purdue. What do you feel on this one, Brian? This is a one of those funny lines. It's a funny line only because of what Purdue has been doing to teams ranked um, highly as they as they approach that matchup. But I think this is the one where talent wheels out here. I think this is MSU all the way. Um, probably about a 10 point win for them. So yeah, I'm going to take, uh, we'll take Sparty here. All right. I'm going to differ with you on this one. I think Michigan state's coming off that. I think there's going to be a massive hangover. I think they're going to win the game, but I think I'm going to take Purdue to, to take the points and cover because I mean, they just beat Michigan that came down. That game came down to the end. They just got ranked in the top five. They are in line to get in the playoffs. They've got to go down to West Lafayette. Um, look for a three thirty dogfight on this one. Okay. Um, but I'm going to take Purdue, and uh, I'll uh, I'll hold the three points. I think I can get it done there. All right, man. All right, Pac twelve after dark. Beginning of the season, this is going to be looked at as one of those big Pac-12 games between Washington and Oregon. Washington has, since the beginning of the season, fell flat on the face. Jimmy Lake, who was a great defensive coordinator under Peterson, is not doing as a head coach. They play Oregon. Oregon, again, in line to get in the playoff. Oregon laying six and a half. What do you think on this one, Brian? Or uh, is this me? This is me. That's you. That's you. Me. Sorry. Got to keep it rotated here. I, uh, I think personally, I think Oregon knows that they're in that vulnerable position. So I think they're going to win this game big over a up and down Washington Husky team. I'm actually right there with you. I think they see what the college football playoff has presented for them and they know that They've got to go out there and and win, and occasionally win convincingly. Um, they probably don't need a super convincing win here, but um, they definitely need to handle their business. This one can't be uh, that wire to wire game. So give me Oregon here. 
You know, right, both on Oregon. All right, Brian, one of the more interesting matchups of the week. I'm still trying to figure out how this game got put together. I'm going to read some backstories. Liberty goes and visits Ole Miss down in Oxford at Bought Hemingway Stadium. Ole Miss, who is ranked. Liberty, who has lost multiple games this year. Ole Miss is only laying nine points. What do you think on this one? Um, I mean, this is the classic which team can stop the other the most because neither of them really gets a whole ton of stops on defense. But I think Ole Miss gets enough. Um, I think this is probably about a about a two-score game. Uh, Ole Miss runs away late. Uh, yeah. I don't think Liberty can quite keep pace with them. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I think after the bad game against um, – Bad game against Auburn last week where, you know, Lane went for fourth down on more than one time with kind of no sense. Um, yeah, he was, he was chasing points like hell. He was chasing points. And, it you know, the, the question is, did he feel like whoever was in there that wasn't Matt Corral just couldn't get it done? He had to take the high risks. I think a week to plan, even with the backup quarterback, I think Lane can figure out how to score points. I think it's going to be an entertaining game. It's going to be at lunchtime. So get yourself a big bowl of wings. There you go. In front of the TV and watch them probably run up and down the field. But I'm with you. Ole Miss uh, wins this one probably by 14. Give me 42-28 as a final. There you go. Yeah, I think this is going to be a chilly weekend for me, not wings. I'm going chilly. First chilly of the season. Chilly? Ooh, chilly. Very nice. Very nice. All right, Brian. The big matchup of the day ranked-wise is Auburn and Texas A&M. Both are sitting at 6-2. and two. Both are in the top 15. Okay, before we get into the game itself, they're both 6-2. and two. They are the highest two-ranked, two-loss teams in the CFP. Guess who the highest run one ranked loss team is? Well, you know who it is. What you got? The highest one loss team is Alabama. No. Guess who the highest three loss team is, Brian? What you got? Mississippi State at five and three. Okay. So you sit here and people are going to be like, well, will Alabama beat them and them? And if they beat Auburn, which I, I think the shine of the the Texas A&M situation is coming off um, a little bit more and more. Um, yet they blew the doors off South Carolina, but we know that's a huge rebuild down there. Auburn's going to get to like nine and two and go to the Iron Bowl and lose. And the first thing people will say, well, well, well look at that. A- Alabama beat Miami, who was in the top 15. They beat a top 10 Auburn team. They beat a top 15 Ole Miss team, and it's just like – I know this is why you hate polls, right? Oh, yeah. Because like, – especially early season polls. Because you're sitting here, and it's just like – I don't know if they are truly worthy of being the 13th and 14th ranked team. There are a bunch of teams 6-2 and two, or with two losses. But whoever wins this game is probably going to get the precursory bump to almost the top 10 and eventually break into the top 10. Yep. So with all that being uh, said, yep. A&M, four and a half point favorites. I'll let you go on your uh, 
your monologue first and then <laughs> who the winner is. Um, this is the one, I mean, I know it's, it's, it's a big one and I grappled with it. Um, I think Auburn pulls this off. Um, I think they might win, win this game outright. Um, but I will definitely take Auburn in this one. Um, I think that A&M, I think the secret's out. I think the, I think the, the recipe of the sauce is, has been discovered and, I think anytime they match up against a quality opponent, it's going to be a, a, a struggle for them. So I'll take Auburn here. Yeah, going to be an absolute fight. Um, you know the the Calzada kid who played his who played his proverbial ass off against against Bama uh, struggled last week. Twelve for twenty four. A and M just ran the ball down the Gamecocks' throats. Both they had two guys over a hundred yards. Um, I think Alabama, I think Auburn does win the game outright. I think getting the four and a half, and I know it's on the road and that's a tough environment, but Auburn does have a good defense. They do. It's not what it was a few years ago, but it's not dreadful by any means. So I, I really think Auburn wins this game outright. And like I said, they're going to go to the Iron Bowl, nine and two, and they're going to go in there with a chance to go to the SEC title game, and they're going to give Auburn and they're going to give Alabama a top ten win. All right, Brian, anything breaking the last hour and 40 minutes? Back to our normal times here. I haven't seen anything, bud. All right. Well, then that's going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner Podcast. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website at BoundaryCornerBT.com to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast source, including Spotify, Amazon, and Apple Podcast. We always let our buddy Jason Long play us in, play us out. Catch him on Spotify and Apple Music. We thank you for listening, and as always, let's go! Okies! Okay.